Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Pray with me. Loving God, you fill all things with a fullness and hope we can never comprehend. Thank you for leading us into a time where more of reality is being unveiled for us all to see. We pray that you will take away our natural temptation for cynicism, denial, fear, and despair. Help us have the courage to awaken to greater truth, greater humility, and greater care for one another. May we place our hope in what matters and what lasts, trusting in your eternal presence and love. Listen to our heart's longings for the healing of our suffering world. Amen. Good morning, my beloved friends, and welcome back to this fifth and final Sunday of our Lenten journey this year. If you've been with us over the last four weeks, you know that we've been using Becoming Beloved Community, the Episcopal Church's initiative, as a way to focus our conversations. Presented to our denomination in 2017, the Becoming Beloved Community vision frames a path for Episcopalians to address racial injustice and to grow as communities of reconcilers, justice makers, and healers. Each week we have done a few things. First, we've offered a word to help focus on a particular aspect of becoming beloved community. We've also explored one of our five baptismal promises. Each week, we have taken one of those vows, the vows that we make, or if we were baptized as babies, were made on our behalf as a way to help shape the path for us to follow. It prov these promises provide insight into what we believe is God's dream for us and for the world. In short, it is a way that we call revolutionary love. And we have met some new people along the way. Each week we were introduced to someone who continues to think deeply and creatively about some of the topics that we are wrestling with. I hope throughout it all you have received a gift, maybe a challenge, maybe an affirmation, or maybe even just some encouragement to stay open and committed to the path that I want us to stay on together. Today, we describe this part of our journey to becoming beloved community as repairing the breach, and our word for the day is justice. Our fifth baptismal promise asks us this, will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. We are encouraged to ask ourselves what institutions and systems are broken. How will we participate in repair, restoration, and healing of people, institutions, and systems? This morning, I want to lean into this aspect of our journey 
by inviting someone who is very familiar to, to join us this morning. Last week, our presiding bishop, the Most Reverend Michael Curry, preached a sermon at the gathering of the House of Bishops virtual meeting. So this morning, I want to invite us to listen to a portion of his beautiful words as we hold this fifth baptismal promise in our hearts. This is a longer clip than we have used in previous weeks, but I am certain every moment of it is worth it. So please welcome what he likes to call himself as our chief evangelism officer, the leader of our denomination, Bishop Curry. Now we go to our work. Continuing the work of dismantling racism, of engaging the demons, the powers and principalities and the realities in our social, corporate, political and economic world and in our church and our personal lives. It was in the shadow of the killing of George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor in particular, that we made a covenant and a commitment to go even deeper than we had before in the work of bringing the scourge of racism to an end, to dismantling its destructive power, to defanging its spiritual realities, and to engaging in high places and low until the love of God, the love of God that we know in Jesus, shows us the way to create God's beloved community. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now we gather after this year when Asian Americans have been threatened and endangered in this country. We gather as the trial of the police officer who murdered George Floyd is beginning. We gather after an interview between the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Oprah Winfrey once again has torn apart, torn asunder a scab and exposed the depth of the wounds of racism. We gather just after the anniversary of Bloody Sunday and on that Edmund Pettus Bridge, many sacrificed. Some in that contest sacrificed life that all might have the right to vote and participate in this democracy. And as we observe that very sacrifice, there are forces afoot in our land seeking to disenfranchise what was enfranchised in the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And now we gather in the shadow of an attempted overthrow of the government of the United States. No, an insurrection, an unholy alliance of white supremacy and Christian nationalism seeking to overthrow the possibility that this nation might truly be e pluribus unum, from many diverse peoples one, that this nation might cease 
and never become a multiracial democracy. Whereas the old slaves used to say there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all God's children. When I um, was, was Bishop of North Carolina, this is a, a while back, I, I went on sabbatical and diocese was kind enough to give me sabbatical leave. And so for three months, I um, went away and you know did what you do on sabbatical. And, and I, I wanted to do a number of things at that time. One, I wanted to take violin lessons and I did. Um, I'm still waiting on the New, New York Philharmonic, but they haven't called. Uh, but that was one thing. So I took violin lessons. Um, but the second and third things, I really wanted to study the teachings of Jesus, specifically the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I wanted to study the Sermon on the Mount in relationship uh, to pro and anti um, arguments, arguments of abolitionist Christians and abolitionist uh, pro, uh, uh, arguments of pro-slavery uh, Christians to just see how they compared. And I discovered something or stumbled into it. A consistent pattern began to emerge. That those who argued for the maintenance of chattel slavery never did so on the basis of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, they avoided Jesus of Nazareth like the plague. They avoided the Jesus who said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the compassionate, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, that God's righteous justice might prevail. They, they uh, uh, ignored and avoided like the plague, the Jesus who says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Oh, they avoided like the plague of the Jesus of the parable of the sheep and the goat. They avoided like the plague, the Jesus of the parable of the good Samaritan, avoided like the plague, the Jesus who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed. Oh no, that Jesus, you will not find in any of the writings of those here or abroad who argued for the maintenance of chapel slavery. That's not an accident. Bigotry is your game. Jesus is not the name. There's a quote from Frederick Douglass, and it actually comes from the end of his autobiography, um, which I actually read at that time. And he says, and let me just read it to you. He says, this is Frederick Douglass in the 19th century. What I have said respecting and against religion I mean strictly to apply to the slave-holding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, so wide that to receive one as good and pure and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad corrupt and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure and peaceable and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for even calling the religion of this land Christianity.
almost a century later in another context. Mahatma Gandhi said this, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. I believe in the teachings of Christ, but you on the other hand of the world do not. I read the Bible faithfully and see little in Christendom that those who profess faith pretend to see. When Jesus, his teachings, his example, his, his manner of life, his way of love is the center. Christianity finds its soul. And when this Jesus of Nazareth is not, we are not participating in the mission of God, but engaging in a mission of our own devising. And invincible evil becomes possible. If you don't believe me, remember, remember your history. Remember the Nazi church of Germany and the need for Barman confession in a confessing church. Remember apartheid theology of the Dutch Reformed Church. Remember the doctrine of discovery of the Roman Catholic Church. But let me not blame others. Remember the work of the Anglican tradition. Remember the writings, the writings of those for SBC, the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, who implored Parliament and the leadership of England to find a way to make it possible to baptize slaves without altering their civil condition. And it was in an opinion rendered by the Attorney General and Solicitor General of the time that said, and I quote, baptism is holy a spiritual estate and quote, doth not in any manner change civil rights. That was a gift of our Anglican tradition to the world. And there's even more. And yet I, I may be misreading the Bible, but I think St. Paul said in Galatians 3, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free, slave or free, male or female, for all of you are one in Christ. You had when, when anything beside Jesus, his teaching, his way of love and his life comes to the center of the Christian faith. The Christian faith has been abandoned no matter how holy and sanctimonious it may look. My brothers and sisters, January 6th, the insurrection, we saw the unholy alliance of white supremacy and Christian nationalism attempt to overthrow not simply a democracy, an attempt to overthrow the possibility of a multiracial, truly diverse America where all peoples of all stripes and types 
could find a home and live with liberty and justice for all. When I became your presiding bishop and I've been blessed, I've been blessed to be that. I'm not about to retire. This isn't a retirement statement. Don't worry about that. But when I became presiding bishop, I said it was my hope and prayer to truly be the CEO of the church, to be sure chief executive officer. Okay, that's part of it. But what I said and what I meant then and believe now is that my job was to be the church's chief evangelism officer and to help the church, to help us all claim the high calling as followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the one whose way can set the captive free. I believed that then and believe it now. At the time, I meant that in terms of bearing witness in our society and in our world to the life and the way of Jesus. And I meant that in terms of a real evangelism that is not judgmental or narrow-minded or about stealing anybody from anybody else's religion, but a way of evangelism that helps folk find their way to the love of God that we have known in Jesus of Nazareth. But I don't think I fully grasped at the time was that part of the great work maybe it's most difficult work of evangelism would be to re-evangelize Christianity itself from a religion in service of the empire, religion in service of self, religion in service of race, religion in service of class, religion in service of anything other than God and Jesus and his way of love. That may well be our most important work and may well be the seed of a new reformation in the very heart of Christianity itself Thank you, Bishop Curry. What a powerful witness and reminder of the work that we have been called to take on as we walk towards becoming beloved community. Of the many impassioned points he just made today, his final one struck me deeply, his urging us to embrace what he describes as the need to re-evangelize Christianity itself from a religion in service of the empire religion in service of self, religious religion in service of race, religion in service of class, religion in service of anything other than God and Jesus and his way of love. That may well be, he suggests, our most important work. 
Truer words could not have been spoken this morning. And what a beautiful way to end and actually commission and charge us to go out as we continue to become beloved community. I think that what Bishop Curry is inviting us to do is actually to start with ourselves, to figure out what we believe and why, and then seek out a way to live that faith as committed disciples following Jesus. This helps underscore what we have been doing this entire season, spending five weeks focused on becoming beloved community. My hope is that what we have learned and what we have explored are new ways of reclaiming our commitment to dismantling racism while strengthening our collective faith. As we come to the end of this series, I'm left with two final thoughts. First, it is not lost on me that we are a brave community, ready and willing to do this necessary work. Thank you. We have certainly begun, and while we have a long road still to go, I am so very grateful for each and every one of you. I said at the beginning of Lent that this might be a challenging season in a number of ways. We remain separated during this time. Some of us have had our hearts cracked and broken open as we've engaged the YWCA 21-day racial equity and just social justice challenge. Many of us are attending the Wednesday Faith and Race film series and talking about a range of challenging topics. Another Sacred Ground group has begun and is digging into the work of self-discovery, education, and transformation. All of these are efforts to stay true to living out our final baptismal promises, striving for justice and peace among all people and respecting the dignity of every human being. And my final thought, simply this, that all of this, all of our learning, our growing, our discomfort, and our transformation, all of it begins and ends in God alone. So to remind us of that, I end today and this series with words to that effect, words to be grounding us, the why, the heart of who we are and how we are called to live broken and blessed, loved and cherished, imperfect vessels, ready and willing to be shaped and used for good and for God. In you alone, we build our house on you. We place our trust in you. Our hope is found in you alone. We build our house on you. When darkness takes our sight, and straining has made us blind, our hope is found in you alone when darkness takes our sight. When rulers rule by fear, your rule of love will still be here. Our hope is found in you alone when rulers rule by fear. And if justice doesn't come in this life under this sun, our hope is found in you alone if justice doesn't come. So justice come, justice come. Roll on down the hills, come on. Roll on through the prairies deep. Roll on o'er the mountains steep. Roll on through the deepest seas. Justice come, justice come. 
We build our house on you. We place our trust in you. Our hope is found in you alone. We build our house on you. our trust in you our hope is found in you alone we build our house on you darkness takes our sight and straining has made us fly our hope is found in you alone Darkness takes our sight. Rulers rule by fear. Your rule of love will still be here. Our hope is found in you alone. Rulers rule by fear. If justice doesn't come in this life under this sun our hope is found in you alone if justice doesn't come so justice come justice come roll on down Roll on through the prairies deep Roll on o'er the mountains deep Roll on through the deepest seas Justice come, justice come We build a house on our trust in you. Our hope is found in you alone. We build our house on you. May it be so.